Being named Minnesota State Teacher of the Year is a once-in-a-lifetime achievement, but more than that, it offers a very large platform to advocate for students and fellow educators. And the way that my friend and former colleague Kelly Holstein has done that is nothing short of courageous. You're listening to Courageous Wordsmith, episode number 25. This podcast presents conversation with and for real-life creatives on how we find and keep walking our unique paths. I'm your host, Amy Hallberg. Welcome to my world. Today, I'm talking with Kelly D. Holstein, who is the 2018-2019 Minnesota State Teacher of the Year. Just to make it really clear, you weren't just any teacher of the year. So do you want to share the special distinction you hold? So I was the first out LGBTQ teacher of the year in Minnesota and the second alternative educator in the state. And just going to put this out there, how do you identify yourself? So I identify as a gender nonconforming lesbian. So you are she, her. I use she, her pronouns, yep. Okay. So... One of the things that we wanted to talk about, I wanted to talk about, is that women like me, people like me, who are well-intentioned, one of the charges leveled against us is, um, that's all good and fine to be well-intentioned, but we kind of could step up in some ways that could help other people that are struggling right now or are are more likely to experience discrimination of many different kinds. So Mm -hmm. you were talking about the difference between allies and advocates, and I would love for you to help me to understand that. So an ally, if you look at the Latin word, it means to bind to. Uh, That's where it comes from. And allies are supportive. They're on your side. They help you to not feel alone. They tend to be curious and open and kind. Uh, They help people feel seen and respected. And they are wonderful. And we need them. And advocates are, uh, it comes from the Latin word, add a voice. So these are the folks that are fighting for people's rights, the ones who are speaking up in public spaces in support of causes and equity, the ones who are taking action the folks who are challenging xenophobia in policies, uh, they're writing articles and emails, they're creating support groups, uh, they might be working with unions, and so they're going to be a, a more on kind of the front line and, and, and putting themselves sometimes at risk by standing up for folks who have been historically marginalized and oppressed. And I will say that the step towards advocacy is scary. I remember back when we had just opened up a new high school in our district. You were the faculty advisor to the Gay-Straight Alliance in the high school we had been at. And a second school opened up, and the request went out from administration, is there somebody who would be the faculty advisor for the Gay-Straight Alliance here? And I sort of looked around and thought, um, I, I guess I'm it. But I had a lot of, I was nervous about that. Like, who am I to be the faculty gay-straight, faculty advisor? I can't even say it without tripping over it, right? Who am I to do this? And you were the one who said, you can do this, Amy. You need to do this. We need you to do this. So what do you say to somebody like me who, I mean, I was far from educated on all the things I needed to know about LGBTQ issues, but you still said, Amy, you're the one, go do it. So what do you say to someone like me? I think that the most important thing about about supporting LGBTQ kids or marginalized and oppressed kids, or adults for that matter, is that you're open, curious, and kind. The fact that you can use curiosity instead of judgment, 
the fact that you're willing to not be the expert, the fact that you're willing to ask questions if you don't understand, which you do all the time, mm-hmm. it, that's what we need. That's what we need in folks to be advocates. And, and by starting a support group, you now have shifted from ally to advocate because you are, do, you are putting something in place. You are putting yourself out there. You are standing up for those kids who really needed you. And it's okay that you weren't an expert. I, I have another friend who recently became a GSA advisor. He is a, a straight, white, cis male, and he was like, wait, I can't, I can't do this. And, but then he's like, but no one else is doing it, and someone needs to do it. And the fact that he was brave enough to put himself out there, it is a risk. It is scary, and it does take courage because as soon as you start to stand up and defend folks who are being discriminated against, you then are going to be in that same line of fire that those folks are in. And yet I have support that other people do not. And, you know, it's lovely that I have a choice. Someone who's LGBTQ is making the choice between being true to themselves and safety. Yes. And it's not a choice. Right. Really. And, and I will say that not every LGBTQ human chooses to be an advocate. And that's okay. Some folks, um, they just want to live their life and have peace and, you know, be able to function. And so not every person is an advocate. So I asked you for this interview, for example, but you're also somebody who's made that choice as a leader in Outfront Minnesota, as somebody who took on, as Teacher of the Year, this issue. Mm -hmm. Like, you you made it a platform, Mm -hmm. and you made a conscious decision to be speaking publicly about this. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, you've done a lot of work around it that maybe some people haven't, and they shouldn't be expected to have to teach all of us. So were you always an advocate or did you see yourself as an ally to start out? Where would you see yourself? Well, as a human, I think I've been an advocate for a long time in the LGBTQ community. I started as an ally in in college. I remember uh, one of my best friends came out as gay and I was his ally. I was his supporter. At that point, did you? No, I didn't know. I mean, so I'm guessing looking back, all the signs are there, but when did you recognize that you were gay? I came out my sophomore year in college. I think that I had always known it just I didn't feel safe to access that part of me yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew up in a small rural community and there were some folks who were really supportive humans to me. But being an out lesbian in that community, like I think that was pretty frightening to my little kid brain. But I did have a dream when I was 11 that I was married to a woman. And I remember waking up going, whoa, like I wasn't disgusted. I wasn't, it felt right. Like it felt Mm. like, whoa, wow, that's amazing. Uh, But that, you know, I had, there were a lot of other issues going on too in my life. And so I kind of had to focus in on, you know, a few things at a time. I I was a tomboy for sure. Um, I wasn't allowed to be a tomboy anymore when I entered high school. And so that created a lot of depression in me. So I actually figured out that I was a lesbian when I was in Ireland for a J term. And I was looking out over the cliffs of Moher and I had a crush on someone that was on the trip. And all of a sudden I was like, oh man, like, I'm gay. Like, what? <laughs> like, you know, looking out, you know, it was like a pretty, a cool, it was a pretty moment. cool place to like realize that you're a lesbian. Um, and I immediately the next day, like cut my long hair short and I was like, and then I wore my glasses instead of my contacts. And I was like, screw this. Like, I'm, if that I'm going to, so if, literary, if I'm going to be me, I'm going to be me. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, this big aha moment. And if you talk to folks who are LGBTQ, a, a lot of us will tell you that when you admit it to yourself, that it's like, it's like 
all the puzzle pieces kind of click and you look back at your life before that moment and all of a sudden things make sense that didn't make sense before. Yeah. And, and that was true for me too. And so I can look back and be like, oh yeah, oh then, yep, okay, yep. You're like everything all of a sudden made sense. Um, but as a kid, I, I really, you know, I stuck up for animals and for... And for other kids who were being bullied or harassed, um, I had a, a friend who did that for me my first day of kindergarten. Uh, her name is Alicia, and and I, you know, I got on the bus and I was excited, and I was met with some looks that were not excited, um, and I sat down on the front seat, and she immediately came from the back of the bus and came and sat next to me. Um, and whenever she was around, I didn't get bullied. When she wasn't around, I got kicked, I got spit on, I got teased, I got called names, I got, you know, like, it was it was pretty rough. Wow. Um, and so, and she really taught me the difference between an ally and an advocate. Because she wasn't just saying, hey, I support you, I see you. And, and at that time, like... I, I knew I was different, but I didn't know why. Right. And I, I mean, I definitely was different in that I presented more masculine externally, but my personality has always been really feminine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but you know, kids have a sixth sense. I think they know even they, before you they, know. Yeah. Huh? Oh yeah. And they knew I was different too. And, and so, and sometimes when, when you're afraid of difference, you respond with words and actions. And if you're a kid, you, you're not always processing why that's happening. And I, there were some kids that were great to me. There were some teachers who were great to me, but there were some kids who probably had their own trauma stuff going on, which is why you bully. It's mm-hmm. unresolved trauma. And, and I get that now, but it still feels awful to be treated like crap. I'm also a highly sensitive human. Right. And, and, and that combination with being gender nonconforming or a tomboy is you're pretty easy prey in a small town. <laughs> You know, and and so, but, you know, and Alicia could have said to me, hey, I see you, I get you, you're totally cool with whoever you are. That would have been an ally, which is great. I have those, I need those. But she took it a step further and would verbally stand up for me, physically stand up for me, and not let other kids hurt me. Wow. And that is, that makes a gigantic difference. And did that, I mean, not just that experience, but... Did that school experience play into your decision to become a teacher? It probably did. I I felt really safe in the classroom when the teacher was there. Like, teachers made me feel safe. That was my safe place. Uh, As long as the teacher was there, I was safe. And they, I had some really positive relationships with teachers. Uh, Mrs. Theed, my fifth grade teacher, she made me feel like I mattered. She yeah. made me feel like my thoughts and my feelings were important. And then I wanted to learn every single thing that she wanted to teach us because she made me feel like I mattered. And I wanted to do that for other people too. I did not become a teacher right out of college because I, you know, I had just figured out that I was a lesbian and I didn't want to go back in the closet. I had heard that being an out teacher was really challenging and I just I wasn't ready so I want to say that before you came to our school district sometimes I would be the one speaking up on behalf of because there were no out teachers that I knew of and I and there were LGBTQ teachers that I knew but they weren't out with me Mm -hmm. they weren't you just I knew because I have a sense about such things at this point but you were the first person to come in and not only be open for yourself, but also you were very, very then safe with students to be out. I mean, so students would come to me because they figured out I was an ally, Mm -hmm. but you were the first openly LGBTQ faculty member 
who could have that conversation with them as an insider, which I never could do. I, I appreciate that. And I, you know, I was advised to not be out as a teacher, especially not until I got tenure. And that wasn't an option for me because I can't build close and trusting relationships with students if I'm lying to them about who I am. And so I've been out since the very first day of student teaching. And I paid attention to how heterosexual teachers talked about their partners and how they were out in a way. Um, and I did it the same way. So I, I didn't, I never said, hey, I'm a lesbian. Like, I didn't do it that way. I did it the way that heterosexual teachers were doing it, which was to say, I went to the movies with my spouse this weekend. Or, you know, like, So you you're know. just normalizing this for people. I often think that, you know, I grew up in the 80s. We didn't have quote, air quotes here. We didn't have gay people because all the gay people were in the closet, right? Mm -hmm. You start to know people and, oh, here's this person that I know and you start to normalize that life and then that's just people that we know. Mm -hmm. And that was what I really wanted to do that. And I was, uh, I've been the only out um, LGBTQ teacher in all of the districts I've been in at different points of my career. Like, you know, toward the end of my time at Shakopee, um, I think, you know, a few people started to be out. But for the most part, I I'm typically have been the only out teacher. And I've known who some of the other teachers were who were part of the community, but, but their choice was to not be out. And I understand why you're not an out teacher. I mean, I yeah. I had a lot of homophobia. I had parents that took their kids out of my class as soon as they realized I was, you know, lesbian. I had, you know, I was called a faggot. I was, um, you know, I ended up getting a traumatic brain injury because of a homophobic staff member that, that led some folks in a dodgeball tournament. Um, you know, I've had a lot of struggles as an out teacher. And so I get why people don't do it, but my hope is that more people will do it so then it's easier, there's more of us, we can help each other, we can support each other, and kids also can see them, because kids need to see themselves in their curriculum, but they also need to see themselves in in their role models in their staff members like yeah. in their educators they need to see themselves i remember when i became teacher of the year that a gsa advisor reached out to me and said that her students were so excited to realize that they could be teachers too yeah because before that they didn't feel like that was a viable option for them because they had never met an out lgbtq teacher before yeah you actually one of the things so to just I don't want this all to be about the brain injury, but the fact that you actually shared that story, I think that a lot of people like me, we see you, you're out. You know, I, I know this about several people my age, LGBTQ people, who were very out and open about who they were. And I just thought that they were so confident life was great. And what I didn't know and what I understand now is, no, they were confident and they were really resilient in the face of a lot of opposition that they just didn't always share mm -hmm. right like mm -hmm. oh there's there's kelly and she's doing great and you weren't out proclaiming all the sort of the, the stuff that was happening i somehow i don't even know how except that i was sort of brought into this into this ally role and more advocacy role sort of almost by happenstance like those were just the kids that I connected with and I cared for those kids and I wanted to support those kids because I thought they were great people and you're kind and open and curious and safe so, so kids would come to me mm -hmm. and they'd say and I always had this sort of willing suspension of disbelief right like I don't don't make assumptions about people's 
about their sexuality or their gender orientation, any of that, but they would come to me and they'd say, hey, can we have a conversation? Can I meet with you outside of class? And I'd be like, oh, <laughs> we're going to have one of those conversations, right? So I've been privy to some of those things. But I will tell you that I think that at the end of my career, some of the resistance I experienced from some of the parents, I can target to they knew that I was the faculty advisor to the Gay Straight Alliance. And you could just tell by some of the snide comments, and I'd sort of, I'd be like, what's going on with this parent? I'm leveling with this parent. I'm trying to show them the benefit of the doubt. And some of the comments, I, they didn't make sense until I understood, oh, there's, an, there's a religious objection to homosexuality in play here, but I'm not actually gay, so it's a little more veiled. Mm -hmm. And people that benefit from systems of oppression are going to be really threatened by people like you, Mm -hmm. who are standing up for those who are oppressed because mm -hmm. you're threatening what they get from that. Right. And, and, and I'm, I'm not saying that's conscious. No, I don't think it is. I think that, you know, I think all of our fears are things we haven't dealt with in ourselves. If mm -hmm. we've dealt with them, they're not scary, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so let's talk about that. So you were an excellent advocate for your students, and then you became Teacher of the Year, and you've talked about how that process forced you to become a much better ally to and advocate for yourself in order to do the things that have been required of you of over that year and beyond and what you've also asked of yourself. Can mm -hmm. you can you speak to that? Yeah, I think, you know, being nominated feels really good when someone is acknowledging that you're doing something that they appreciate. I think a lot of times as educators, we're just kind of in our own little world and have our own thoughts and our own philosophies and strategies. And then when someone says, hey, I noticed, like that feels pretty great. Um, and I had a, a couple folks who nominated me. And then, um, you know, going through the process and even just filling out the portfolio of having to write essays about my teaching philosophy um, and in the, the issues that I felt were prevalent in Minnesota, like, you know, just, and then getting letters of reference and, and going through that process was helpful for me to really sit and reflect. Cause you do that when you're in your teaching program or if you get a master's or PhD, like you're doing that, but I hadn't really done that to that degree since I had uh, received my master's. And so to kind of have that, that time where I was forced to reflect was really good for me. And then you know, being chosen as a semifinalist and being asked to do a video about the state of educational equity in Minnesota and, and really reflecting on that. And that was really useful for me. Can and I pause you just a yeah, minute? For Can sure. you explain what equity means? So my definition of educational equity is finding out what kids need social, economically, academically, social, emotionally, and everything in between, and then getting it for them. Got so it. to me, that's my definition of educational equity. Different humans are going to need different things in order to thrive. Okay, as you were, you were talking about this process of making the video. Yep, so I made this video and really, you know, figured out ways that maybe, like reflecting on my own ways that I was doing educational equity and ways that I've grown. And then, you know, being chosen as a finalist and which I didn't expect, like that was kind of crazy. <laughs> and, and being, I, I think there were, I don't even remember, like maybe uh, 12 of us, I think, I can't remember, um, a great group of humans. And, and then being, you know, having to prepare for an interview, we had a, I think it was about a 30 minute interview with 25 people and you don't know what they're gonna ask you. And so you just have to be prepped. Going through that process and 
a big thing for me was that every kid matters. It's been really important to me as an educator to make sure that students feel like their thoughts and feelings matter and to make sure that they feel seen. And, mm-hmm. and thinking about that, and then the night before the banquet, before they named who the, the teacher of the year was going to be, and having that light bulb go off that, yes, every kid matters, and but educators matter too. Wait a second, every heart matters oh, I have a heart, that means I matter, <laughs> you know, and, wow. it, and and like, it seems so silly, I mean, I was in Can my... Can I just ask how old you were at that moment? Uh, well, what was it, uh, a year and a half ago, so 44? 44, yeah. <laughs> that you finally realized, yeah. oh, and I matter just for myself. I Yeah, and I think, you know, I, I mean, I've, I've dealt with situations in my life where I have sacrificed my own needs for other people, which I am not advocating for, that is what codependency is, <laughs> um, And but that that, you know, I was kind of trained on codependency and so you know wanting to help other people and and it took me a while to realize that that is not a gift I'm giving other people to sacrifice your needs for others right um and there's and a limitation there's, to how far you can amplify your voice from yep, that place and there's and there's a difference between uh, compromising and sacrificing and and I was hitting more toward the sacrifice um, and so you know I I really put all my energy and my heart into helping other people and then realizing that I also needed to acknowledge that my, that I, yeah, that I mattered too. And it was like this, to me, that was a bigger deal than getting named as Teacher of the Year. Which is super funny because you and I have come a very similar path in the sense of, you know, leaving teaching and, and who am I beyond this. But I remember when I left teaching and I was like, okay. I will never be teacher of the year. That was like a conscious thing I said to myself. And then when you were named, I was like, oh my gosh, I know her. And she had such a huge influence on my career and made such a big difference. What did it make possible that you finally understood just how important you were as a human being, just just by being you? What did that make possible in that year? Because... I don't think you have to take up some kind of advocacy role as teacher of the year, right? That was a conscious decision you made. It was a conscious decision that I made. I felt like I was given this opportunity that was a once in a lifetime opportunity and that I wanted to use it to um, help stand up for my kids, stand up for my community. And so so having so building my own self-worth and my own self-confidence actually helped me to help others better which was this great benefit because then now I'm really clear about that I'm not just helping others to feel like this void, like I'm helping others because I know what it feels like. So at that point, from that perspective, then you're not doing this teacher of the year thing to make yourself feel special or important because you know who you are. Exactly. So And it actually helped me be better at equity. Because I think that if you if your needs matter too, then it's easier to care about the needs of others. It is almost impossible to care about other people's needs if you don't care about your own, at least in a healthy way. Otherwise, you end up in kind of that codependency. I have felt like I wanted to protect um, and save, and, and I still feel that way. But I'm doing it now from a place that isn't going to drain me in the same sort of way. 
Which like means that you had a very important invitation that you declined as Teacher of the Year. I did. Uh, so the I'm part of the 2019 cohort of State Teachers of the Year, and we were invited to go to the White House and visit with President Trump and Betsy DeVos and Mike Pence, and um, I made the choice to not participate in that. And initially, I thought I was going to. It's a once-in-a-lifetime deal. I totally support everyone who decided to do it. But as the year progressed and the xenophobia and the discrimination and the prejudice against the communities that my students represent against my community, as that started to increase, I realized that that wasn't something I could participate in. And I knew it wasn't going to be a civil conversation. And I teach my students, it is okay to have differing opinions as long as you are civilly and respectfully talking about it. And I knew based on experience, I had a 99% guess that (laughs) that that was not going to be the case. And it was for the most part, just kind of a like a photo opportunity, um, and I, I didn't want to implicitly support administration who discriminates against my kids in my community. Right. And so I, so uh, Jessica Duenas and I, she's from Kentucky, the two of us decided to not participate in that event. Wow. And beyond that, that you've given talks, you've done a lot of writing, you've really had to, had to, chosen to use your voice in very overt ways. And so I'm, I'm just curious, how has that changed your understanding of yourself, of your relationships, of everything? How has that changed your life, just doing that process? I was told when I became Teacher of the Year uh, by, uh, by a previous Teacher of the Year that when you're in that position, that it shines a spotlight on everything in your life. Hmm. And it really does, because now I'm looking at relationships, I'm looking at what do I believe, what is important to me, Um, and so I'm going to look at the relationships in my life and figure out the ones that are a healthy match for me. Mm -hmm. And the ones that aren't, I'm going to respectfully pull away from, because that takes away from the work that I can be doing to support kids and to support folks in the LGBTQ community, to support people of color, to support, you know, like that takes away, like when you're in unhealthy relationships, it drains you. So that takes energy away from the work that I could be doing. Um, And then you look like you're going to say something. Well, yeah, I'm also saying that I think that marginalized people need role models who are modeling how do you do this in a healthy way. I mean, so it's not just that you're taking care of yourself. Again, it goes back to other people seeing you do that and saying, huh, that's what it looks like. Like, maybe they want to take better care of themselves, but they don't even know how. Mm-hmm. So you're demonstrating that, or, wow, if she can do that, maybe maybe I am worthy of that too. So you don't even know how your story is creating possibilities for people that you may never even meet. That's exciting to hear. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. And I, it's so risky to be vulnerable like I acknowledge that it's it's so scary to do it and but I just feel like that's the way that we can create connections with with ourselves with other people um, I've made a lot of mistakes and and to be able to have kind people hold the mirror up gently in front of me and say hey did you notice this um, and be challenged in that behavior and that's a risk you take too when you're public about uh, your thoughts and feelings is that you might say something that's not the most like the best way to say it and then if folks can kind of gently challenge you on that I welcome that 
Like I, I want to be respectful and I want to keep growing and keep learning. And this, the teacher of the year, um, you know, I've met extraordinary people that I wouldn't have met otherwise that, right. that are holding up this mirror for me. But it also is getting me into schools and into districts where I can talk to educators and find out where their challenges are, where I can find out areas that they need more support in. Um, and then as the director of educational equity at Outfront Minnesota, I now get to do that. And so I can work with educators in the state of Minnesota and actually across the nation to help support them in the work that they want to do. Because sometimes you, you just don't know what you don't know. So if we were, if you wanted to share one piece of advice or one piece of encouragement, what is that one thing you would share? I think equity benefits everyone. And I think that sometimes people get think that equity just benefits like certain people and I don't think you always realize that when you do equity work it makes it more fun to be a teacher because you're connecting with your kids and your other educators on a more significant level and it makes it easier for every single kid because it's really about the skills and it's really about trying to figure out what your kids need and getting it for them regardless of anything else so that benefits every single kid and I would also ask folks to be open and curious and kind. Um, I used to definitely get very defensive. Like I had, I remember I was told that there were more intense escalations in my classroom than anywhere else in the school. And I was so hurt by that because I think what happens sometimes with equity work is, is when people hold up that mirror, it can cause a lot of shame. We didn't go into teaching to hurt kids. Right. And when you learn about the ways that you have inadvertently hurt kids, mm-hmm. and I believe it's inadvertent in most cases. Yeah, I, I, we it, all, all of us teachers can speak to moments where we know that has happened. And you didn't, and, and so, you know, you, for me, like I would get defensive. And, and then you kind of want to shut down because you don't want to feel that pain that you've hurt kids. And so I really had to do the work of pushing myself past that pain and doing it anyway to learn how to help every kid. And that, and that's, it's painful. It's humbling. It's, and and equity is chaotic and messy and dynamic. And so it's this crazy ongoing process that if you choose to commit to it, it's always going to be a little painful. It's always going to be challenging. It's going to cause cognitive dissonance. But if you choose to commit to equity, it will make you a better human it will make you a better educator it will make you a better friend and spouse and you know everything like it just it actually makes you better and then it you're creating a space for kids to also get what they need so that they can thrive thanks for visiting courageous wordsmith Today's episode featured 2018-2019 Minnesota Teacher of the Year, Kelly D. Holstein. You can read about her and find links in my show notes. If you enjoy this podcast, you can help it thrive and grow organically. Please subscribe, share with friends, and sign up for True Lines, my letter for real-life creatives. Please and thank you for your support of all kinds. You can learn more about me at CourageousWordsmith.com. I'm Amy Hallberg, and until we meet again, travel safely.